Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk Revenue Marketing Podcast, brought to you by the Revenue Marketing Alliance. In today's episode, our podcast host, Paul Sweeney, is joined by Senior Director James Mollard to discuss how to implement an effective ABM strategy. Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Revenue Marketing Podcast. Thank you for your company today. We're going to discuss the subject that probably every B2B marketer has struggled with, myself included, ABM and ABX. It's an often misunderstood term. Is it a marketing term? Is it a sales term? Or is it both? Probably been the buzz term in industry for the last 10 years. Most companies have tried it. And frankly, I think most companies have struggled to implement it properly. Fortunately, we're joined by an expert today in the field, James Mollard from JPC. James, why don't you introduce yourself and your credentials in the area? Hi, Paul. Thank you very much um, for the chance to come and speak today. And yeah, my name is James Mollard. I'm the Growth and Strategy Director for JPC. And we help big, complicated enterprise organizations with their marketing and sales approach to their most strategic, the important accounts. And, and we, we do that at, at every stage of the sales journey from, from the point of where they are first engaging and then nurturing in those accounts into some kind of co-creative relationship through to deals and bids. Most of the accounts that we work with actually go to market through a formal bid process at some point within that sales cycle. And then increasingly, um, those organizations are focusing on how they, they get more value from the relationships that they currently have. So helping them understand the data and the insights that they have about those accounts so they can really focus on ensuring that they're minimizing churn, they're getting the renewals that they need, and they're optimizing the opportunities to cross-sell and upsell across their um, across the businesses that they're working with. Yeah, great. Just so we can get everyone on the same page, we've got marketers who've probably seasoned ABM pros and other marketers listening to this who you know just dipping their toes in the water. Why don't we just start with the basics? What is ABM or ABX for you? Okay, so... Let's start with the first of those, ABM. To me and to us at JPC, ABM is, it starts with, with the development, the creation of an absolutely unique um, and powerful proposition for a singular account. And then it's the process of working across marketing, sales, um, and products and propositions to be able to, to connect the target account with that proposition, with the compelling solution that you've developed just for that business and then manage that relationship um, through through a sales cycle to build dialogue, to shape an environment where you can actually co-create with that account. So it, it isn't just about pushing information at them. It's about building that, that, that sales dialogue that allows you to get insights, information, data back from them so that the solution that you're creating and that you're, you're developing with them is genuinely bespoke and very, very focused on, on their needs and the outcomes that, that they have to target as an organization and importantly as an individual. That's yeah, ABM. Um, ABX for us is, is how you then extend that across that entire sales journey. Um, so so where a lot of ABM sort of falters, I think, is that you know marketing works extremely hard to develop propositions, to take them to market, take them into account develops an opportunity for dialogue with sales and then hands that 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 journey over to the sales team. And so much of that insight and so much of that strategy gets left behind. Where we see real success is actually where, where that, that relationship between marketing and sales continues in a really productive and integrated way, right through to the point where you're constructing deals and bids that you're pursuing. You know, you're almost going, going from ABM being a, an account-wide approach Mm-hmm. So then moving into to deal-based marketing, which really, really narrows that approach down to focus on a very, very singular opportunity. Um, and, and so 
working across that entire customer journey is, is, is the first part of, of what makes ABX a move on from ABM. The second element of that is, 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 is I suppose, the X part. Now, that's the account-based part. The X part is around experience and experiential. So the businesses that we work with have have really you know, very complex products and, and propositions to to meet the very complex needs in the customers that they're targeting, and the experience is how do you bring that to life? How do you create something which is which which really allows potential customers to experience what it's like to work with that product and to work with that brand in a way that's immersive, it's educational, it's exciting, it's entertaining. Um, so we we've done a, we do a lot of work around developing customer experience centers, but more than just developing the journey and the content that sits in that one physical environment. It's understanding the strategy that actually allows you to bring that experience into every stage of, of that customer journey in a really structured and strategic way. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I think what most companies have at the very basic basic is a is a demand generation funnel. So I think most marketing departments have that set up. And does ABM replace Traditional demand generation, augment it. Are the two one and the same? Um, the two are absolutely complementary. Um, and you know, you'll hear you'll hear a lot of businesses talk about ABM in terms of one to one, one to few, and one to many. Um, and to us, ABM is is one to one. We find that that you can, you know, we're, we're quite often we're, we're building propositions for an account. And you'll recognize behaviors in that account that you can then expand over other businesses that are, that, that are behaving in similar ways. So you can repurpose that and extend it, which becomes your sort of one to few. But one to many, to my mind, is demand generation. Now, that's a that's an incredibly important part of your, your, your overall go-to-market strategy, mm -hmm. um, but it's not ABM. And, and where we would be, we would see that is that almost your, your demand generation activity is is your great way to surface first party intent data mm -hmm. and and actually depending on what you see and the knowledge that it creates for you about accounts that sit within that that demand gen universe is that you can surface businesses or organizations that have high levels of intent towards your your brand and, and your broad proposition and then through ABM, you can really start to focus in on what are the specific needs of that business? What are their strategic imperatives? What are the things that wake them up at three o'clock in the morning going, oh my God, we've got to fix this. And then at the point where you understand that, bring that back in to our customers organization and say, we know this business has challenges. We know what they are. We know that they're focused on need to fix them. Mm -hmm. What can we, with that knowledge, what can we collectively build as a compelling solution and where we bring that compelling solution together with our knowledge of their strategic imperative, that's what gives us our value prop for, for that account. And that's what we ABM off the back of. I'm curious about the ABM side of things and how does ABM differ from just good personalization? You know, I think with the, the MarTech that we have today, particularly in um, the large enterprises, you can deliver effective personalization at scale. So how does ABM to you differ from just good personalization? So, so to deliver personalization at scale, you're looking for, you're really looking for commonalities. You're looking for behaviors that are to some degree generic across, across groups of customers so that you can almost mimic a very, very bespoke communication to that particular person or that organization. But at the heart of it, it's still generic. It's still repeatable behaviors. What you're doing with ABM is actually you're not looking for the similarities. You're looking for the differences. 
So you're looking for the things that are genuinely unique in that business that you're targeting, that you can build your compelling solution around so that what you're going back to that organization with and to that actually to the person within the organization is something that is genuinely bespoke. And it's it's the difference between being, I guess, personalized. You, you sort of you look at maybe three stages of this is that personalized is something that is coming to you and recognizes that I know something about you. So I know your name or I know your business. I've put a logo on the front of it. I've got some sort of conversation track within the content that's coming to you that has a sense of of, of speaking to, to you as a bit. So I know something about your business. I know that you're a financial service organization. So I know that governance and compliance is a really important thing for you, but it's also a really important thing to every other financial services organization as well. But I can make it sound like I'm talking to you. Then you move from sort of personalized into, into relevance, which is, I guess, is, is what I just touched on there, is that your financial services organization compliance and, and governance is, is relevant to you. So we talk about relevant things. What we're looking at, at doing with ABM is making that truly sort of relatable. So we're looking more at, at unique individual experiences that we can we can we can create for you based on what we understand about your business, on the, the research that we've done or the data that we own or the insights that we've built. Um, but it's it comes back to, I think, that the fundamental difference is having that unique value proposition for the account that you're targeting. Obviously, personalizing at scale, you've got a value proposition that works across a, a wide set of data and of, of targets. But with ABM, you've got a, a value proposition that has been created and in some instances co-created specifically for the organization that you're targeting. And um, it, that approach comes back to um, a really fascinating thing that we're starting to see around how businesses measure success of their mm -hmm. ABM programs so that for us, it's, it's always been about revenue. Um, the ABM has to play back to and be attributable to revenue. And that's the beauty of ABX because you sit with that sales journey all through the cycle, actually you're still there and you're still connected and you're still adding value and creating value at the point where that deal gets closed and that you've got, a, you've got an initial contract value sum that you can say, we helped you do that. You've invested X amount. But mm -hmm. there's your return and it's absolutely nailed on. But one of the other things that we're seeing, which is really interesting, that we're starting to measure with um, as, as we're seeing ABM practices being put into play from a customer success perspective with accounts that, that, that are already trading with, with our clients is around um, CSAT scores. And, mm -hmm. and actually, when ABM is done well, the account that you're targeting knows that it's part of an ABM program in your business, and it gets a real sense of value from the content and the insights and the research that you're sharing with them because it's been created just for them. And it has, it, you know, it really creates something for them, which helps them do their job better. It helps them be more successful. It helps them think differently, more strategically in different ways about the goals that they've been set, the objectives they have to achieve. And actually they see being part of an ABM program as a, as a service point, as well as just a kind of a sales and a, and a market, a route to market sales. Yeah, that's great. I, I think one of the, I've been involved in setting up ABM programs a couple of times in a couple of companies. And I think one of the biggest challenges I remember facing is which accounts do we choose to focus on and who makes that decision? Because it's it's a heavy lift, right? It sounds like there's yeah. an awful lot of research involved. There's a lot of yeah. content creation involved. And also once you're committed to those accounts, it's not a quarter's worth of focus. It's got to be, you know, repeatable. It's got to be long-term. It's got to be strategic. 
which means you've got to get the correct accounts and the decision about which accounts you focus on has to be correct when you kick this off. So how, from your experience working with, um, you know, your clients, how do they go through the process of deciding which accounts to actually target and invest this time, effort, and ultimately marketing dollars in? Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's, um, the first part is, is opportunity. Um, and we would always counsel our clients. You know, we, we, we often, what, we're, what we're, we usually see with businesses that are new to ABM is that we're running a pilot. And we'd, we'd usually suggest select three to four accounts. One's too few, five and above is too many. Select three to four accounts and select them on the basis of the opportunity that you see within them. Don't select completely green accounts where you have very little kind of insight or knowledge or signals in terms of intent. Um, what we're most often working with is is businesses that have um, that have taken you know a, probably a small part of our clients' core portfolio of, of of product, but we can see that there is there is at the outset there is a real a real growth opportunity within that particular account. The other thing that is is critical within this is who's who's leading the relationship with that account. Um, and you know, it, it, you'll hear people when they're talking about ABM saying, "Oh, you know, sales and marketing alignment is central to this." And actually, sales and marketing alignment just doesn't cut the mustard because you get your sales, the, the the sales, the account team, the customer success team that are working on that account. They have to be more than just aligned. Otherwise, you're because this, as you said, this stuff is strategic, right? It's not. It's not. Mm. It's not going to turn a result in the next six weeks. They've got to be in it for the long haul. Um, and you know we we know with sales teams they're under a huge amount of pressure. Um, mm-hmm. You know they they quota to carry, numbers to hit, and if they're aligned, what happens is they turn up for the first workshop and it's all unicorns and rainbows and everyone's very excited. But the, the role that they have to play in this going forward is they are your most critical channel because ultimately for ABM to be a success, what we're looking to do is develop dialogue between that sales team and named individuals within that customer. This is not a brand-to-brand exercise. This is a person-to-person exercise. This is a, this is about enabling humans to have better, more fruitful dialogue with each other, sales dialogue. And if you don't have the salespeople fully invested, not aligned, invested in this as a, as a program, then it, it will fail from the start. So you have to look at, at, at your sales team or your account team and say, are they the people that have really detailed plans on Altify or just any kind of account development plan. They've got a vision. They've got a vision for this account. Before you've even started, they're invested in this account. Are they the the sales team that actually come to marketing, lobbying for more support, more investment? Do they have that hunger to get after this account? And, And can you instill in them the belief from the outset that this strategic approach is going to have value for them? Maybe not in the first quarter, but by the time you got to the second quarter, third quarter, the end of the year, that actually they're you're going to help them be closer and ahead of the number that they've got sat right on the penciled on their back. Um, and one of the things that, that that we found is really valuable in making sure that you get and maintain that investment is that whilst we all accept that ABM is a strategic program, what you should have is by the time you're four weeks into this, you should have a really, really good sense of what is your unique value proposition to that account. Where can you apply that tactically to, to get to show your sales team some value really quickly? And that can be something I can give you, for instance, it might be that there is a, you know, there, a bid might already be on the table. And actually, if you can bring some of your strategic thinking, some of the value prop you've developed 
into the way that you're responding to that bid, that's great. That's a really good thing. Or even as it's as simple as, you know, we, we were working recently with a client on, you know, on a, on a long-term ABM approach to an account. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, 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 the sales team were at an event that account was going to be attending. And we just created for them based on the value proposition we built a really short sort of disruptive discussion document for them to actually have as an asset to go and go and sort of buttonhole that account and just say, we've got some really different thinking. We've been thinking differently about some of the challenges you're facing and to be able to kind of just, just immediately plant that seed. And what it, what it did there is it shifted the perception of that account of our client. They saw them as a pure play telco business, dumb pipe. They didn't think about them as being as a, a consultative tech co and, and the, the, the cues and the conversational and the conversational structure framework that we gave them absolutely shifted the dynamic on that in a in a ten minute conversation. And suddenly you've got a sales guy that's looking at that and going, they they now think in the space of a ten minute chat, they now think that they're thinking completely differently about me and my business. Yeah, it's a really interesting challenge because I think um, salespeople are naturally short termists, right? They have to be, you know, structurally that's how the sales industry has been, you know, put together. Yeah, kind of maximum horizon is three months if you catch them at the start of a quarter. It's really interesting from a marketing perspective to go to them and say, hey, can we think about this long term? Because ultimately the guns against their head to provide dollars in quarter over quarter, right? Yeah. The really interesting challenge to marketing to almost sell to a salesperson, hey, we need to think about this long term. Ultimately, this will benefit you. But actually, this quarter, you're probably going to see no additional benefit. How would you kind of broach that conversation? I think the advocacy is such a powerful powerful tool in this and this is why we, we we focus so much on account selection in in a pilot stage with a business on who who are, who are the accounts team that are running who's the salesperson that's running this um can we really get them to think beyond that that three-month window but also coming back to the point i made earlier on where are the quick tactical wins that we can help mm-hmm. them with because if we can show them some value so that the person that i mentioned previously that, that was able to, to kind of shift the dial on a conversation just in a 10 minute chat at an event, he's become our strongest evangelist in that business because he's now going and said this and, and he believes in the long term. And the thing is, the, the thing that you have to do is, is keep the team engaged. So we work, you know, once we get beyond that strategy stage and we start, you know, you almost do the, the fun bit, which is getting to the proposition, which salespeople get very excited about, they're engaged in, they're contributing to, they own that. This is their thing that's going to go out and sell them to the account. The point at which you lose them is that then when you take that proposition, you have to activate, you've probably got sort of a six to, to sort of 12 week window where you're building familiarity and you're building that relationship with that account before you're getting the sales. You're saying that there's now, there's there's some dialogue, we've got them coming to a co-creation event, we need you on point, you're doing this. Actually, what we what what we do is we use sales as our distribution channel. So in that in that period where we're reaching out to that account, we're not sending content from brand, we're not sending content from marketing. We're activating all of that through the salesperson. So that you know they're reaching out through LinkedIn. We're, we're loading the gun for them. You know, we're, we're doing when we're working on accounts, we're doing weekly sprints with them, might be a half hour to an hour, but once a week. And we're in some instances sitting there with them and saying, right, send this to that person today using this channel, and then come back to us tomorrow and tell us what response you've got. And so it's it's a really sort of progressive and iterative process once you get into that activation stage. So I think it's you know, it's a classic Mike Tyson thing, isn't it? Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And um, it, you know you, you 
you've got your proposition, you've developed your blueprint for that account, you've got your activation plan. As soon as you're live with it, everything changes and you've got to be able to, what you're taking is live feedback from the activity that you're undertaking, but that's altering your strategy almost on a, a sort of a weekly, at least on a monthly basis. Um, and it's, you know, that that ability to be agile, you've got to have the salespeople engaged and make them part of that process. But what that does get them and that, that how is, is, is live feedback loop. They're not relying on marketing to say, well, we've run this campaign and we've had, you know, the 24 clicks and three people have opened it and that sort of stuff. They're in it. They're right in the middle of it. And they're getting, they're getting live active engagement with the people that they're targeting. And they can see straight away whether it's working or not, and whether it's going to, whether this is going to get the value that they need, whether that's in a, you know, six weeks time or six months time. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and ask you a slightly provocative question just to see where we end up. I think <laughs> the perception of ABM is that it's quite MarTech heavy. It requires upfront investment, probably in an intent, an intent platform, maybe like Sixth Sense, or you know, there are others out there as well. You're probably yeah. going to need a marketing automation platform, HubSpot, Marketo, something like that. Hopefully you've already got something like Salesforce, but you're probably going to need some sort of one-to-one engagement platform, something like Outreach. Again, there are others out there as well. Yeah. What's had a colleague describe the ABM industry as an adjunct and created by the MarTech industry to sell more MarTech? How do you feel, how do you feel about the kind of accusation that ABM has been constructed by the MarTech industry to shift more MarTech? Um, I think that I think potentially certain styles of ABM, if you looked at you know people calling one to many or one to few, how you call how how I don't know how you get one to many account based marketing. The whole thing is it, it's account based though. That to me is your audience of one. So I think that marketing technology has a valuable role to play potentially. But what I come back to the point I made earlier, what sits at the heart of ABM is your ability to construct that absolutely killer value proposition. How you then choose to deliver that is is sort of it becomes what's the best fit for the job at hand. You know, if we've got an account that has you know a, a target audience in there of of a hundred or two hundred people, which which we do sometimes work on, then actually being able to 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 automate some of that outreach to the to the right tier of account with so the right tier of stakeholder within that account is definitely valuable. And at the point where you are selecting accounts and deciding on your strategy and developing your proposition, um, intent data can definitely has a role to play in that. Um, but but I come back to you know the the thing that we're constantly coming back to is 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 about humanizing the connection. And in our mind, a, you know, ABM is about creating that one-to-one interpersonal dialogue between your sales team or your business leadership and the people that you've identified in the target organization that, 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 that you match up with them. So it's, you know, we, we've run some extremely successful um, ABM programs on particular account. One, one recently that, that ended up in a, a you know, 156 million pound win for the client had no technology in it at all. Had nothing. The, the only tech that, that we put into play that was Creative Suite and LinkedIn. So it didn't it didn't have an intent platform playing a role in it. It didn't it didn't have an automation platform playing a role in it. It was it was about using insights, research, creativity, intelligence, and experience to create a really really compelling proposition to pull that account into conversations by at the start intriguing them and ultimately compelling them that that the solution that that our client had available was a real transformative opportunity for them 
and a chance for them to actually to work with our clients and build something that that was genuinely bespoke to meet the outcomes that they were pursuing. And and it was you know a lot of that was was delivered just on a one to one basis by you know we had four people within the, within our client that we'd lined up against um, ten people within within the organization that we were targeting and it was about enabling them with the right messages the right content the right structure strategy and approach to build their relation their personal relationships with those individuals um and no martech was harmed in the pursuit of that account or enabled i'm a fan of martech so i'll always take the martech but i'm pleased to, to know that for other marketers out there that um it can be done without martech i've got a yeah. couple of questions for us to uh kind of start to finish out here what about you know the origins of abm and the um the sorts of areas that got it right early and then perhaps a look to how abm is going to develop in the future particularly thinking about ai ml yeah some big big kind of structural changes to how marketing is going to have to adapt um you know the way it works so looking back at you know the history of marketing and particularly abm one of the first areas that i witnessed get abm right was the SaaS industry. I yeah. think I know why. And I think it's because, um, you know, there, there's a quite a clear line between the marketing effort and dollars in through repeatable income um, and through repeatable revenue, ultimately. But why why did SaaS nail this so early, ABM? And why is the enterprise, you know, catching up? I think one of the reasons that, that, that SaaS have done so well with it is that they have, um, they've quite often got an easier point of entry. So it's, it's, it's an easier deal for them to close their sales cycle is less complex um so you don't see with with SaaS organizations mostly that they are having to to ultimately come to market through some sort of formal rfp or bid process i think that their sales cycle is probably quicker um so with the enterprise accounts that we're working with sometimes that sales cycle can be two to three years um mm -hmm. at the at the outer at the outer end of that the difference is that quite often with um with SaaS, it's um it's possibly an a, an elective purchase whereas with enterprise organizations you find that the, the things that they are selling to, to other businesses are they form part of their critical infrastructure of their customers um so i think the from a SaaS from a SaaS perspective the the demand units are often less complex um are smaller they're more they're more defined they're more refined enterprise is is just a it's just a bigger slower business i think the thing that's 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 really interesting in this and where you're starting to see them converge is that as SaaS businesses mature so do their accounts and mm -hmm. and now um you know you you would find that most SaaS businesses say we don't, we don't want human interactions with our accounts we want as you say we want to to automate this really effectively um we want to serve the right kinds of content the value content to our customers at the time that they need it that we've and we've recognised that through data and data's driving an automated response through our through our Martech platform. Businesses, their, their customers are really willing and happy to transact on that basis because quite often it's as I said, it's not that that really ingrained critical part of their infrastructure. Um, but you're finding with organisations, um, say Slack or someone like that, when when actually they're they're now finding that they have accounts that that are spending. You know, millions and millions of pounds a year with them, and it is becoming a part of their critical infrastructure. And and those businesses want to be consulted with. They don't simply want to be informed. They want 
They want a human who's going to talk to them from a position of knowledge, understand their specific requirements, and be able to hopefully shape the way that their product is delivered to them that, that is more unique to their particular needs. And, and so that I think SaaS businesses are starting to see some of the challenges that enterprise organizations have around those big, high-value, cannot-lose-them strategic accounts and how you manage those. And actually, probably with those, a purely automated approach is, is going to have to be um, developed into something that's more hybrid, more consultative. From the other end, from enterprise down, you know, they are, they are now seeing um, that you know, they're, they're pursuing consumption-based models, whether that's, whether that's network as a service, whether that's call centers as a service. Um, and they are, they're not signing up five to 10-year deals that involve them putting a load of hardware, physically putting a load of hardware into someone's site. They're having to look to shorter, you know, one, two-year deals where actually retention and reducing churn and upsell and cross-sell opportunities are increasingly more important. So, so they're having to think in a more automated sense about yeah. how do they manage, you know, because they're big enterprise, they've got 200,000 accounts. They can't consultatively sell to all of those. So how do they improve the experience for that big long tail and allow, allow their people to focus on that really humanized experience for that top sort of five percent that they're really really big strategic earners yeah um so i think i'm not even sure that answers the question but i think <laughs> no i think it does i think um i think one of the reasons that abm works so well for the SaaS industry or initially worked so well or they were the early adopters of it as an approach is yeah the barriers to entry are quite it's quite an easy route in you know you can sell a license or not sell them right you can give them a license and let them play with it and compare it yeah. to what you have and that's fine. You can kind of land and expand over time organically. Whereas, yeah, enterprise is often big infrastructure, rip and replace that are big, you know, big decisions. Yeah. People's careers depend on it if they get it wrong. SaaS, give me a license, let me play with it. And, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it in a month's time. I think that might be, you know, my, my experience of working in SaaS was that was a, that was a really great gateway into, into accounts was to just play with it. We're confident in the product. We love it. Just take a license, no cost, kick it around, see what you think about it. That's a, that's really interesting, actually, and that's that's that comes back to what I was saying earlier about the the whole sort of the X in ABX, and for enterprise, that's why we developed that proposition for, for our enterprise clients because they can't just give their thing to someone to play with and experience. So we have to build these environments that allow people to get a true sense of what it is like to work with that product and to work with that company. That's really, I hadn't thought of it like that. That's like, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just it doesn't surprise me that enterprises are thinking that way because um ultimately, you know, one is cross-pollination between the two people move across, ideas move across. So it's nice to see that enterprises are learning from SaaS in terms of just get the products in their hands if you believe in it and uh, good things will happen. Now I think um like everyone over the past probably month, we've all been blown away by chat GPT. I've got it in front of me, next to me here. <laughs> Everyone's played it right. And it's yeah. my gut my gut feeling is that AI and machine learning, and this isn't a particularly you know, controversial big statement is 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 probably going to disrupt every industry. Yeah. Um, the company that I work for had its big um conference last week where I heard it where I heard um AI finally having its you know iPhone moment where suddenly everyone realizes okay this is coming I understand what it can do. Which I'm really interested in your thoughts on a have you have you had some kind of early conversations with you know clients and with colleagues around what is this going to do to the marketing industry at large? And also, how do you see it influencing ABM and ABX? Because I can see some really, you know, interesting use cases around, you know, data mining, looking what people are up to, um, 
Yeah, I'm yeah. really interested in your thoughts there. Firstly, I think the area from an ABM perspective that something like AI could could start to do really, really well is that absolute cornerstone in my my view to ABM. And I keep coming back to is the value proposition for that mm-hmm. account. I think that that you because that's hard yards. That takes a lot of a lot of people power and brain power to get to that if you're doing it properly. And and I think that there is a huge opportunity to to automate parts of that in the the intelligence that goes into that process around understanding what's the strategic imperatives for the account that you're targeting. Therefore, being able to to actually suggest what the right kinds of solutions coming out of of, of our client could look like, and then weaving that together into a, a really sharp, well articulated value proposition. I think definitely it's got which terrifies me slightly because that's sort of my specialism. <laughs> um, but 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 how you use that to become and, and what you might find there is our particular flavor of ABM, which is very much one to one strategic accounts. Actually, suddenly you can. If you're saying to a business, you you know, to make that work, you need you need an account that's probably got a potential initial year's contract value of half a million pounds plus. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you can deliver that really bespoke, personalised approach to to an account that actually is probably only going to spend a hundred million with you, and you suddenly democratise that really strategic one to one approach to ABM. The other thing that we are we're working on, and this comes back to the earlier question about one of the differences between SaaS and enterprise is that SaaS are building trackability and usage usage traps um, into their product. So they've got they've got really well structured data around mm-hmm. how their customers are using and engaging with their services or their with their product. In enterprise, you know, they might have 20 different products as part of their core portfolio. And they haven't, they haven't, because these have grown organically over the last 10, 15 years, they haven't built that structured approach to capturing that kind of usage data within it. So there's there's acres and acres of telemetry around how how businesses are using those products, but it's all unstructured. You know, we were looking at this with an account recently that's um that's you know that that's targeting the health sector. Um, and most of the NHS trusts are engaging with them on somehow on their product, but getting to the bottom of of how they're using it, what they're using it, are they using it well, are they getting value for it, is a, is a huge piece of work because only 12% of the data that they've got around those those accounts is, is any in any kind of structured format. So you've got to go and get your arms around sort of, you know, 82% of their data, which is unstructured. Um, but then also being able to pull in outside sources. So looking at social listening. So not just how people are engaging with your product, um, from a from a technical perspective, but actually, what are they seeing about your brand? What how do they think about your business? You start to weave those together, and then you start to bring in some first or third party intent data into that as well, and layer that with 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 AI, with over with with AI, some sort of machine learning, some kind of um, model that's that's able to recognize patterns and say, okay, well, we've got a really detailed view on how you're behaving as a customer. Mm-hmm. We can see that other customers that previously behaved like that didn't yeah. renew but if we can shift you from that flight path onto this flight path you you are more likely to renew and the things that we can see that are, that, that are going to encourage that behavior and, and move your journey uh, a b and c we can start to act on that that getting to that is is really fascinating yeah it has some interesting um you could also use it at the front end of the cycle as well you know model what a, a successful customer acquisition looked like and hey show me accounts that look like this yeah, um, that are behaving, you know, ninety percent of the way that this account 
behaved and you know focus all your marketing and sales efforts on those it's a really interesting part of the industry that we're all gonna have to keep an eye on over the coming months and years i think i think i think what it what it will do is it it probably it, it replaces some of the repetitive activity some of the activity that 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 you, that you can learn and can be taught I guess what we all hope is that that frees us up to do other things that were are more enjoyable and that we're better at as human beings and it doesn't just make us all redundant yeah well perhaps we'll have a lot more time to record podcasts Think about it. than uh, write emails yeah. but hey James I wanted to um take a moment to thank you for your time and thank you for your expertise on the subject it's been a really interesting discussion um certainly challenged a couple of my assumptions around ABM and ABX so I just wanted to thank you for that um do you mind letting people know where they can find you on the interweb and where, what your socials are, just in case anyone wants to uh, say hello? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's um, it, come and have a look at uh, thinkjpc.com um, or you, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Great. Okay. Well, yeah. If there are any questions for James, then uh, you've got his details there. And I think we can include them in the um, show notes as well so people can uh, reach out to you. And thanks again, James. Thanks for your time. No, Paul, thank you very much. It's been great to be here. Really nice to chat to you. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out our other episodes for even more insights into the world of revenue marketing.